You are listening to Life Stories with me, Natalie Miller-Snell. Throughout this series, you'll hear honest conversations with inspiring people. And I am so super excited and so very grateful for my guests who have been incredibly candid about their journeys. So sit back and prepare to be inspired. Hello, everyone. Joining me today is a truly wonderful woman. And in truth, I might be a little bit starstruck. She is a sought after speaker on all aspects of coaching, leadership, psychology, and change management. She has a vast array of accolades, including a master's in coaching and coaching development, a visiting research fellow at the University of Chester, and a lifetime fellow at the National Council of Psychotherapists. She is also CEO of Barefoot Coaching, one of the UK's leading suppliers of coaching and coach training. She is author of two books, The Coach's Casebook and The Coach's Survival Guide, and she's a podcast host. Incredible. I don't think there's anything this woman can't do. Please put your hands together for the incredible Kim Morgan. Round of applause. How are you? I'm good, thank you. I'm feeling really uncomfortable about that beautiful (laughs) introduction, but I still go, what? Really? Have I done all that? It was sort of nice to hear and uh, amazing. It's literally, it's incredible. It really is. When you put it all together and you say it, when I was, you know, getting, getting prepared for today, it's absolutely outstanding, a remarkable accolade and achievement. So yeah, does it feel quite wonderful hearing back? Thank you. I'm going to try to practice what I preach and embrace that and say, thank you, Natalie. You're very welcome. And thank you for coming on. This is absolutely a a huge treat for me. I'm uh, new to the, the coaching world, in fact, from last year. And I got experience of Barefoot in and around the wonderful coaching community. And I heard a great deal about you. In fact, there was folks talking about you saying, you know, Kim, Kim, this, you just using your first name. It was a bit like Oprah. I was like, who is this woman with only the name Kim? I must get to know her. So it's really my absolute delight to have you on. Let's get to know a bit more about Kim. How did it all happen for you? Because there's this, that vast accolade. Where, where's the story? Was it the dream? Where, where do we begin with it? Or where, where would you like to begin with it, Kim? Oh, thank you, Natalie. Well, you, you <clears throat> told me that you'd be asking me that. And, I, and, I've, and I've given it a bit of thought. And I hope I'm not going to go on for too long. But I wanted, I love the idea of, people's career stories, career and life stories and where we end up. So I thought I would give you a bit of personal background and what brought me here. Tell me to stop if I'm talking for too long. Is that a deal? Absolute deal. Okay, so really I enjoyed thinking about it and I kind of thought back a bit and and, uh, throughout this story, I want to draw out a few lessons as well. Um, so, where did it all start? Well, um, my parents were from East London, you know, East End working class people who moved to Essex like so many did in the <coughs> early it. 1950s. Um, but they were unusual in that my mum my worked and my dad fully supported that. My dad, They were like a real new cool couple in those days when other mothers cooked apple pies and wore aprons 
my mum and dad were both working full time. And there were times when I sort of resented that because it was very different in the, uh, you know, I was born in 1956. So it was very, very different then. <clears throat> but I really have, as I've grown older, I've really thanked them both for that kind of empowerment of women. But my mum was a social worker, a probation officer, and, and at the, towards the end of her life, started a charity. So that kind of helping people vibe was always around me growing up. Um, I was academic, um, but I was easily pushed around. I, was a, I wasn't quiet, but I liked people to like me. And I think that led me to being manipulated a bit, actually, when I was young. So what I was really good at was writing. And I wanted to be a journalist. I had this dream of being a journalist. And I was always good at writing sort of funny, quirky stories. And my English teacher sent me to my headmaster. And my headmaster said to me, so you think you can be a journalist, do you? And I said, yes, sir. And he said, okay, let's imagine you're working for the local RAG. Somebody's child has just been involved in a terrible accident. You have to knock on the door, put your foot in the door to hold the door open and ask them about it. Could you do that? I said, no, sir, I couldn't, couldn't, oh, Yeah. And he said, no, of course you couldn't. You're far too soft. It's not for you, go and do something else. So yeah, we've all, I think, had some of those moments where an authority yeah. figure says something to us. Um, so I didn't do that. So I went down a sort of academic route that didn't necessarily suit me. I was also good at languages, so I decided that I would study languages at university. Um, but it was never in my heart to want to do that. And I just thought, I don't think I want to just be like a French teacher in a school. So I had also done loads of Saturday jobs and worked in big department stores in London in the holidays. And I loved all that vibe of retail and uh, all this will come together in a moment. I went to university and I left in the second year. Because wow. I, yeah, I left in the second okay. year. Okay. My parents turned out to be not quite so open-minded about <laughs> that, by the way. I can imagine. But I, do, I just thought, I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know where this is taking me. So all along I'd had, I'd had that ignited sort of love of the cut and thrust of business. I loved it. I, I grew up in, a, in an environment where my family were very focused on helping others and doing good in the world. And, and also from an early age, I started reading self-help books. You know, I didn't have David Bowie posters on the wall. I had Freud and Jung and I was very interested in that. So after some time, I trained, I decided to train as a counsellor, a humanistic person-centred counsellor, um, because I thought, I think this is where my heart is. Also at school, I'd been the kid that 
although I got pushed around, I was the kid that everyone came to uh, with their problems. Yeah. It seemed to me like a natural pull. Um, the rest of the story I often tell, which is uh, I trained as a sort of a Jerian person-centered counsellor. And it was like, it's not enough. I often use it as a Goldilocks story. Yeah. It was a bit too bit too sweet. So I thought, I want something grittier and gnarlier. I want to really get to the number of the issues. So I went and trained in psychodynamic psychotherapy, Freudian psychotherapy. Yeah, it was a bit too sour. And there were a number of things that I didn't like about both of those disciplines whilst I learned a lot um, that they were sort of single discipline approaches you know one hammer to crack a walnut and I I wanted loads of options to work with people so concurrently I was working for charities, I worked for Relate, I worked for Women's Aid, I was very interested in women's development and the, the skills that I had learned in my psychotherapy training only took me so far. So I, I developed, I guess, my own set of principles. When I thought about this podcast, I realised I've been quietly maverick, actually. I was like, I, I think the principle could be summed up with that Goethe quote, treat a man as he is and he'll remain what he is. And treat a man as though he were already what he could be and he will become what he should be. And yeah, I I wanted to not patronize people. I wanted to not do to them, but be with them and uh, believe in their potential. So, So in the end, I probably wasn't, I didn't ever get sacked, but I sort of, wasn't really in line I wasn't prepared to conform to um, any prescribed ways of working with people and I, I remember I ran a group for women and they were women who were severely disadvantaged victims of domestic violence you know complex family issues and I ran a group where always the sort of you know lovely voluntary kind of I'm saying this really with tongue-in-cheek but do-gooders yeah had um prescribed the social activities uh calendar and uh I was just like no let them do it let them decide what they want to do and where they want to go and um just you know, in those early days, realising that, you know, if you let people find their own solutions, it will be so much better for them. We did end up going to a couple of male strip, stripping um, things. <laughs> As driven by, that's brilliant. <laughs> but we also went on a picnic because they, they sort of said to me, we've never been on a picnic. It's the sort of thing that they do in in Blyton books and we didn't come from those kind of families. So, um, 
Yeah, so just over all that time, I was developing my own internalized set of principles about working with all sorts of different people. And to bring this to a close, by the time I started to see that this thing called coaching was arriving in the world, I rather courageously decided that I should be one of the people training people to be coaches. Magic. And I wrote a course based on all that, really, based on all that sort of unconditional positive regard, adult learning, not being the expert, staying with the not knowing, um, believing that somebody has the potential to be what they want to be and a whole load of different and creative ways in which to bring that out um so that was it I got a, I got I wrote a course I got it accredited by a, a university um and and that was about accessibility too because this postgraduate certificate that I got uh, didn't require people to have a first degree they could uh, they could come and learn this, and and here we are, twenty five years later. It's quite incredible. I mean, I'd, it warms my soul listening to you speak, and I think I've gleaned that from um, what you presented last week as well on credibility. And I've joyously joined a group coaching session or a program with Barefoot as well. How you deliver and speak about coaching and just general life. It's very anecdotally. And there's a great deal of knowledge and wisdom and experience within those anecdotes, which make how you teach all the richer, I think. Um, It's something that Emma Collins mentioned to me, actually, and I hope she won't mind me saying this. Um, She talked about being a barefooter um, and that you you don't, it's not just cognitive in terms of how you teach, it's from the heart as well. And the words I've written down here from what you were just saying, inclusivity I love the quiet maverick one as well but that whole inclusive side of things you're incredibly well read and yet you formed your own path and pioneered almost the way because barefoot's highly well regarded um it's just magic absolutely magic thank you I, I I love that you've picked that up I one of our sort of values and one of the things we look for is for people to hold their knowledge lightly and to deliver it in a jargon-free way. Um, and and I, I learned that over years. I had a lot of times when I thought I was the, the, the sort of dunce in the room. I particularly remember when I was uh, training in Freudian psychotherapy that every month it was somebody's turn to deliver a paper that Freud had written to the group and they were really dense you know they were old rotten old photocopies of the papers it was pre-internet and we were delivered these papers and we had to make sense of them and and month after month I'd sit and listen in awe at the other students in awe but not in comprehension going oh wow you know that that's so amazing I can't even understand it and then I remember when it was my turn and I do think that the tutors 
pose this deliberately, but they said, and Kim, the topic you're delivering on is penis envy. And which was one of Freud's papers. I was like, thanks for that. But <laughs> Before that, my face just dropped, by the way, for everyone that won't have seen that in terms of our interaction. <laughs> Bless but, you. But what I did was like read it and read it and read it until I understood it. And then I went back and when I delivered it, I delivered it in plain English. And of course, a joke. Of course, a joke. There had to be, didn't there, with that topic. Um, and at the end of it, I thought, oh, no, you know, all those other people use such big, long words. And at the end of the term, my tutors said, you're the only one who gets it. Wow. You're the only one who gets it. And that regularly happened to me. And I came to honour and value the skill of sharing knowledge, sharing quite, you know, complex ideas with people in a, an absolutely down-to-earth way. And I think some of the ways in which you can do that is by igniting their hearts as well as their minds. Beautiful absolutely beautiful Uh, yeah I mean I'm almost speechless it's just it's uh, wonderful to have that drive as I mean where does that drive come from I I don't know I think it's something about equality of opportunity something about the families that I worked with all those years ago who were who would have been discarded really by a lot of people overlooked judged for their appearance, their social status, their lack of education. And yet I just, I just befriended them. I want, and I didn't patronize and I didn't play myself down. They thought I was ever so clever and posh, you know, in comparison, but I treated them with total unconditional positive regard and they blossomed. I think it comes from, some appreciation of people's potential and how surprising they can be. And, and, you know, honestly, today, 30 years or more later, some of those women are still in touch with me. Some have gone on to be, become lawyers and some have gone on to become therapists and they love to still tell me. And I think it's something about that, about like who do we think we are, you know, might be just an accident of birth or an accident of genetics or something. It's, 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 I haven't really thought about it. You're kind of asking me to think in the moment. That's the best I can do. I love it. I absolutely love it. And talking about exploring potential and actually, you know, delivering and growing. You mentioned journalists in your early life and wanting to do that writing. And you've since gone on to write two books. I know. You brought that into your work. I mean, that's amazing. How how did that come about? Well, first of all, I want to say, in your face, Mr. May. Oh, yeah. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) I don't think he's still here with us, probably, because he was about 89 then. Um, Yes, and I think not just journalism, but I think all those things that I love, that's what I meant about the weaving together. As I now look back, I was like, yeah, I loved business. 
and I loved self-help and therapy and I loved the idea of journalism so yeah I how did it come about I I wrote the coach's case book with Jeff Watts um which was a fantastic experience and I thank Jeff Watts for holding me to account and making me stick to all his agile um, coaching processes to meet deadlines. Um, so we wrote that book together and I'm really proud of it. I, I think it's exactly what I wanted it to be, a coaching book that doesn't tell you how to be a coach, but it opens the door on what it is to be a coach and to be coached. Um, and I, uh, I think I arranged a meeting with uh, Susie Walker, the editor of Psychologies, and we met and I sort of sheepishly took her a copy of the book and said, oh, I bought you my book. She said, oh, thank you very much. And I waited for her to come back to me about it. And I think probably at least six months elapsed, if not more, by which time I had persuaded myself that she was she just decided never to contact me again because she'd read it and it was rubbish and she didn't oh. say um and then one day she phoned me and said I've just read your book she said oh my god I didn't even realize it was you I remember meeting you and you gave me this book and it went to the bottom of the pile and I hadn't even connected it with you and then I finally got to read it and I completely love it and wow yeah and um, so she said, will you, will you start writing for psychologists? <laughs> it was just as simple as that. And Fantastic. I think that was five years ago, nearly. I actually have the case book in my Amazon basket and I've bought so many books recently. My challenge is not having the time to read them. So I'm like, no, I must, I must hold on. <laughs> it is on audio. Oh, it, oh, is it right? Oh, that's a really good idea, actually. Yes, with me and Jeff reading it. I might do that. Yes, I might do that, actually. Thank you very much. What a great tip. I love it. So, okay, there's so many aspects to what you've tapped into in your life. A question that I thought of before we came on air, and you've got numerous accolades and all incredible, incredible achievements. What is it that you actually enjoy doing the most now? Great question. Two things. <clears throat> I will always love groups i i love the joy of groups of people learning together and i probably don't do enough of that but but i will always love that and i always find some way to be with groups of people in a learning environment but i actually love running the business yeah yeah i love the I have an idea every five minutes, probably. I could, there's so much excitement in the coaching industry. There's such an awakening in the world to what coaching can do. Um, so I, there's such a lot of opportunity within Barefoot. I'm very proud of what I've achieved. I'm very delighted that I have trained <coughs> thousands of coaches now are all out there in the world making a difference to thousands of other people 
And um, so I love developing, growing the business, refining it. I'm utterly fixated on excellent service wow. and, and never staying still. And that probably excites me more than anything. That's a really interesting point, actually, in terms of never standing still and moving forward. And I think we see it, we maybe feel it more in the world at the moment with COVID because we are literally stuck, aren't we? Yeah. You know, we can't move forward. There's no change happening. There is a, ne- a need or a requirement to feel change in another way or to move forward somehow. Yeah. Because we're not seeing anyone or I think, yeah, that really resonates with me, actually. And, and I think it, that very need has drawn people to training, development, coaching, self—you know, self-fulfillment emotionally and psychologically. And looking at things in a new light as well. And actually, yeah, re-evaluating purpose, what we're doing, how we're yeah. doing it, why we're doing it, Simon Sinek. Um, now, I really like that. That's really resonated with me. A good, yeah, good connection. Okay, I've got, I want to come on to podcasting because you host a podcast as well. And we are, you know, podcasting here. How do are you enjoy, it's dancing in the moment. Moment. And that's your strap line, isn't it? That's something that you... No, not really. It's oh. an I, it is one of the ICF terminology. It's an ICF terminology. Okay. It's one of the sort of uh, bylines of their competency. But I just love it because I think uh, it's, it's the most poetic thing I think the ICF has come up with because it's, it, it epitomizes what I think a coach has to do. Yeah, I think it's absolutely beautiful. Yeah. Uh, and, the whole, and the ethos behind your podcast as well is beautiful. I listened to um, John Perry this morning before we recorded. What a great episode. Absolutely outstanding. Thank you. He's such a great man. A really real eye-opener gave me pause for thought quite a lot actually in fact we had a few dramas at home this morning and it really helped me reframe thinking as well which was quite I tend to believe that everything happens at the right sequence you know in a, in a small scale yeah. and it really helped it really helped I must say Be- beautiful yeah yeah he's a, he's an exceptional person and I'm really thrilled that I've um persuaded him to come back and work with us again oh, wow. delivering short courses so check them out he thought he, he sold out immediately it was like Glastonbury when we <laughs> announced John Perry was here it's, it's coming up in March is it is that right yeah, but we, yeah. yeah that's already full so we've in some new dates oh brilliant everyone yeah. well actually the, yeah. they might be sold out by the time this goes <laughs> out actually sorry <laughs> sorry everyone um absolutely brilliant yeah the podcast is amazing is that something you're going to continue with as well yes yeah yeah I think I need a bit I I, I need a better mic I'm sitting here looking at your <laughs> mega mic and <laughs> quite inadequate no uh, <laughs> but yeah I think I feel like I uh, I'm learning and it's good to be a bit out of my comfort zone and learning that it, it did you have a background in broadcasting or no not at all I literally self-taught a couple two and a half years ago and um, you know I can echo what you say I often feel out of comfort zone or dependent on who I'm talking with I mean sincerely when I mentioned earlier with you there's always that 
element of excitement, joy, thrill, nerves when you're talking to somebody who you highly regard and respect. Um, and then in and around making sure that you provide the right space and environment to help deliver and encourage stories out as well is really something I, I, I love doing. But all self-taught, yeah, from YouTube videos, picking up what was the best mic and what worked well for me at doing it and yeah I, I still learn along I still learn every day about it oh is this Good. the way to well, do that change well I'd like to learn a bit from you I think you're really a great interviewer oh bless you yeah. oh we can definitely do more chat offline for sure I'd love that yeah that would be amazing. Okay, right, on, on questions, I have two for you from two okay. coaches. Now, um, Sandra Wiles and Annie Lee, who you will know very well, have a, a Mighty Networks a group and a wonderful coaches gathering. Um, and I put, I posed in the, uh, in the group, I was speaking to you, I was meeting up with you, does anyone have any pressing questions for you? Now, these two actually link very well to conversations we've had just now and, and what you were talking about in terms of breaking molds. And I must apologize to Hannah and Rebecca. I'm paraphrasing, so won't be as eloquent as they as they verbalize their questions to me, okay. but bear with me. So Hannah Saunders asks, you're known as somewhat as a specialist in the area of the imposter syndrome, uh, or you know, how we feel when we, we move into or doubt ourselves. Is there a story or an anecdotal experience that you would be comfortable sharing? And particularly if there's anything that could relate to help overcome imposter syndrome gosh great question I've got I've got so many stories I sort of don't know where to begin there's one story that made me investigate imposter syndrome for the first time and I had I went for an interview and um I left that interview thinking that I was never going to show my face in public again. I left the interview in absolutely mortified, oh. thinking that I'd made such a mess of it and I couldn't, I just, I couldn't actually, it was serious, it was deep. Couldn't even tell my then husband what had happened because I, even that was too shameful for me. And so I waited for the dreaded phone call that I was anticipating and I picked up the phone and they said, we'd like to offer you the job. And they said, we have never, ever experienced an interview that powerful. Wow. And I couldn't comprehend it. And the, the disconnect between that, you know, this wasn't posturing in any way. It wasn't sort of managing myself in case I didn't get the job. I really, I was really ashamed of what I'd done. And that disconnect was so huge that, right. that it was that event that led me to go, I've got to get over this. Um, so, thing, you know, there are so many things that you can do. Work with a coach, first of all, and work yeah. with a coach who understands it and knows about it. Because I would say that, actually, if you, you know, I, I achieved a, a sort of high level of recovery, I suppose, but I still had a tendency to do something that's connected with imposter syndrome, which in psychology is called complementary projection, and that is projecting onto other people um, the, the, the assumption that they know what you know, because if you know it, it can't be that difficult to know. Um, so I would tend to 
do that in my teaching of coaching. I would tend to sort of be quite dismissive and and want and say, oh, I'm sure you all know this already. I'm sure you've all seen this model. Gotcha. And then people wouldn't be able to say, actually, no, I haven't. So I, I inadvertently made them feel uh, uncomfortable. So I, I, I've really looked into it in depth. I, so I work with a coach. I think some of the best things to do are um, the, the, some of the tools that we teach on the Barefoot course. So a walk a timeline a career timeline from the beginning of your career to up to date and properly internalize your accomplishments I think imposter syndrome comes from never never internalizing your accomplishments never standing there and going yeah I that happened because of me yeah that happened because I did these following things and build that through your life I think uh I love this came from Susie Walker, the um, editor of Psychology's magazine. Create an evidence wall, like you were, like you were in a the crime scene. Crime scene, yeah. Brilliant. And, and capture all the evidence of your successes, <laughs> uh, uh, and you and keep that there. Yeah, and you're not going to be able to dispute it, you know. Um, Ask people whose opinions you trust and respect. Build your sense of self because I think imposter syndrome is closely linked to people pleasing, and and not and not having strong boundaries and not having a strong sense of your own entitlement, so that you will believe anything anyone says. But who's what's the quality of the witness? What's the quality of the witness? One time. Um, I don't know how to say it. after I got divorced I met someone else I was about to go into my whole um marital um you know history then but this the the that person that I was with one day I said to him after a few years together in a very non-needy way I might add I said you know what I've just realized you've never said I look nice and he said Never think you do. <gasps> and in a split uh, second, I was like, oh, I don't look nice. And then I thought, like, look at him. Look at this man. He, wow. he is like a tramp. But why would I, why would I go to that person for opinions on how I look? Crikey. So it's about having a discernment about whose voice you listen to yes rich beautiful advice yes a shell shock still from that last story (laughs) (laughs) we'll come back to that another time off air but that's really wonderful Hannah I'm sure you will love all of that absolute wow that's really wonderful thank you so much um Rebecca Beck asks As somebody who is very well read and experienced, I mean, accolades we've already spoken about and your extent, I mean, it's incredible. How do you continue and expand your coaching learning in a self-development focused way? Yeah, that's also a really great question. So I have regular, monthly, in all cases, therapy, supervision, and coaching 
um, I continue to read. Uh, I, I am very privileged in that I rub shoulders with some really experienced coaches and we spend time together learning together. So people who I'd like to really shout out to are Claire Breeze. Don't know if you know Claire, she's an amazing, amazing coach, supervisor, therapist. Um, I, I'm probably going to say this wrong if Claire listens to this, but a fully, fully ordained Buddhist monk, nun, priest, some, you know, Wonderful. but, but um, and another maverick, another rebel. Wow. Oh, really amazing thinker Julie Starr another woman in the industry who has a fierce mind and a fierce heart Um, Nancy Klein uh, absolute uh, beautiful beautiful thoughtful um, and highly intelligent soul Um, all those people that have the privilege of now calling personal friends and many others John Perry um, are people I continue to learn from and I still go to coaching conferences and uh, when yeah and and I and currently you probably know very uh, interested in exploring more about uh, grief and loss that's a big interest of mine at the moment the intersection between coaching and therapy has always been a huge interest of mine. Um, and I think grief work currently is sort of where they're meeting. Yeah. Yeah. And I learned from the, I learned from the new coaches. That's amazing. Because it's being open, isn't it, as well, still to newness around you. And I, I mean, I'd like to think I learn every single day. Or certainly that, that's how I feel. Um, I don't believe I'm an expert in anything. Well, neither do I. You know, for any of us to ever think that one is the expert, that's when you're lost, really. Yeah. And you're not open to newness and difference. That It's a struggle for older coaches, you know, for more experienced coaches to sort of think they've seen it all before. I think you should always wonder and be curious I love it if I, yeah I, I thought you'd frozen again <laughs> again I must say to everybody there is going to be some editing on this we I, I've got major internet I am very unstable according to the internet <laughs> maybe that's telling me something <laughs> Beautiful. I, I hope um, both Rebecca and Hannah, I have actually no doubt that they will be thoroughly thrilled with those answers. Thank you so, so, so much. Absolutely beautiful. Um, now, so I suppose finally, well, well, actually, before we get to the final question, what's the future look like for you, Kim, in terms of barefoot? You mentioned earlier about, you know, potentially, uh, well, you, you're constantly thinking, bringing new things in, bringing um, John Perry back. Um, and what does the future of coaching look like, do you think? So, but, so, Barefoot, it's really clear. We're just going to keep doing what we do and do more of it and do it even better if we can. So it's about growth, um, but we're really certain that all we do is coaching related and we want to bring it to more people. Ultimately, part of the growth plan is for me to uh, start a barefoot charity that sits alongside the business so that we can 
really offer pro bono coaching to people who couldn't otherwise access it. So that's my heart-led goal. Wonderful. My commercially-led goal is to be a globally recognised business. Wonderful. Well, domination. I was going yeah. <laughs> to and helping people at the and, and along time. the way absolutely <laughs> yeah. I think that incredible aspirations wonderful <laughs> and so in terms of coaching then the second part uh, how do you see coaching in the future I mean it's rapidly expanding lots of folk coming into into the into the workplace if you like or the, the market for the coaching environment yeah I mean I think it's here to stay I, I said on the webinar in the early days we weren't so sure um, but I think it's absolutely here to stay uh, every we encounter who has experienced coaching has a positive story to tell. Um, I think organisations are embracing it wholesale. I think even particularly now, the value of um, a listening ear and some support for people's for people as whole people, you know, their work and life and their mental and emotional health have become at the forefront of all our minds. And coaching has a real role to play. I don't think it's going to be confined to this current global pandemic. I think it's awakened people to the benefits and demystified it. So yeah, I think it's, it's here to stay. I, yeah, I wholeheartedly agree, actually. I really firmly believe that it might have been kickstarted by the pandemic, but there is a real shift in terms of the narrative, the thought process, and actually folk really listening and beginning to understand how everything impacts us because we're all firsthand experiencing it now. And, yeah. and never perhaps thought or cognitive appreciated actually the, the impact of having negative mental well-being whatever the conditions might be or scenarios everybody's beginning to feel that so I think there's a real as you the word you use away, awakening with it which is yeah wonderful I think in a supportive way yeah agree brilliant okay right well finally for anyone listening um barefoot is clearly a place where folk can come to online and I'll put all of your contact details and sh- uh, bits and bobs in the show notes if you were to offer someone some advice for this coming year, 2020 was quite a unique experience. 2021, you know, with a positive outlook, um, hopefully things will be better. There's still hope on the horizon with vaccines and how we're moving forward. How, what kind of advice would you offer somebody in terms of how they can help themselves make change in the coming, you know, year ahead? Whatever that might be for them, be it change careers or, you know. Yeah, okay. Um... I sort of want to link it to your introduction to the pan, you know, to say in this year, uh, you know, this year of pandemic, take the learning from it. And I think some of the learning from it is to embrace uncertainty. This, this is, you know, it is all at the, at the same time. We've realised that, yeah, things do happen to us as well as other people. And I think that is a first stage in uh, change, knowing that you can't control everything, but the ability to uh, be agile in your thinking and to respond uh, is is vital. So ask for help, really ask for help and offer it back. 
people are so generous. I, I didn't say that in talking about my uh, career, but I could I wouldn't be where I am without standing on the shoulders of other wonderful people. Um, so yeah, let people know what you want and you will be amazed at how many people come and help you. But don't sit quietly on your own wondering how to do it. So that might be working with a coach, but it might just be going to your network. Um, that's my main thing. I mean, there's lots of sort of tools and techniques and ideas that I could say, but really it's about getting that mindset of, um, I can't do it on my own, so who can help me? And what can I give them? Brilliant. It's connection, isn't it? Yeah. Beautifully articulated. And in fact, I experienced exactly the same last year. It, 2020 was, I mean, horrendous for a lot of people, myself included. It was the generosity, the kindness, the openness and the supportiveness of folk around me, particularly in the coaching community, yeah. that helped me massively. Yeah. Uh, and it's there's, I don't think there's anything better for a giver or receiver, actually, in terms of kindness. Because it brings on those beautiful chemicals and all of that stuff. And it's just, it's magical. And, and I think that's what's magical, Natalie, about the about coaching and the coaching community without, you know, sound, it sounding too idealistic. It isn't. If it coaches, uh, coaches embrace a set of principles, including staying with the not knowing, embracing uncertainty, unconditional positive regard for others, empathy for others, trust. Um, and, and therefore we learn to live by them. And when you have a community of coaches together, that there's something wonderful happens in that way. There is generosity, there isn't competition, there is abundance and sharing. And um, I remember when I started the business, loads of people said to me, loads of business advisors and consultants said, you know, this is completely naive. You're too trusting. You're not a businesswoman. Um, you've got to get harder. You're growing your next layer of competition as you're training all these coaches. Uh, that's a ridiculously naive thing to do. And I basically sort of put two fingers up to them <laughs> and said, watch me. <laughs> In a less quietly <laughs> maverick way. <laughs> Brilliant. <laughs> well, oh, what a way to wrap it up. But that's it though, isn't it? Absolutely fantastic. It's the trust, the core belief, and it's that understanding that, that we're, we can still move forward, all of us together in a supportive way. Exactly. And, and there's evidence within the coaching community that that happens. Yeah. This has been absolutely beautiful, despite our technical hiccups as well. <laughs> I thank you so much, Kim. Honestly, this has been a real treat and a wonderful afternoon on a, on a Wednesday, which is particularly grey outside. Thank you so much for joining me. It's been a pleasure. It's been a real treat for me too. Thank you, Natalie. And let's talk podcast yes. equipment at another time. Definitely. I'm on for it. On for it. Absolutely. And thanks everybody for listening. This is the last in the mini series for now, but I will be back with more guests soon. In the meantime, tune in next week for more Seize the Day coaching tips. Take care. Look after yourself. Keep well. 
You have been listening to Life Stories with me, Natalie Miller-Snell. For all information related to my guests, please check the show notes. And if you wish to continue the conversation with us, please hashtag Life Stories on all social channels. If you enjoyed this show, please pop over to seizetheday.simplecast.com where you'll find my other shows. If you're interested to know any more about coaching, please visit me at nmscoaching.co.uk where you'll also find details of the latest workshops I am running. Thank you so much for listening. 